All right, here we go. This is Ungovernable. I'm Matt. This is Jocelyn. We got an awesome show tonight. We're talking the economy. You want to do the honors while I get the last stream shared with the wine? Yeah, this is what beautiful with an eye. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Malbec. It's a really beautiful label, though. Yeah. You're right. You just showed it to me. You picked this one out, right? I did. I've got it. It's actually got to. Uh be opened up though yep so uh we are going to be talking uh economy tonight uh just reminder like comment subscribe share we are live every single monday at 9 p.m eastern uh we have an awesome guest tonight so i'm not gonna hold him up too long you can keep opening that up while we uh invite uh clint how are you brother i'm good i'm super tired man i've been on the road non-stop i went to Porkfest in New Hampshire, and then to Michigan to speak at the LP with Justin Amash, and then I was in uh, Vegas for Freedom Fest for the past four days. So I am, I am gassed, but I am here and I am ready to talk economics to wake everybody up with my deep economic <laughs> analysis. I was gonna say we are we are amongst royalty because you haven't made it in the political sphere until the <laughs> Southern Poverty Law Center has issued a hit piece with you as one of the main pieces. Now, obviously- I, I, knew, I knew this was coming. <laughs> Dude, you've made it. You're, you're like, uh, as soon as the smears start, like, you know, you're obviously touching a nerve. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, as, as honored as I am to get their ire, I really didn't think I was prominent enough to- get a mention like this not not to mention like a significant portion of the article i was like wow this is really <laughs> astonishing um so i guess as as many people have said uh that must mean you're doing something good so i'll just keep doing it yeah <laughs> i i think it's just that uh you're a white dude wearing a beanie and you fit the profile <laughs> i think it's what it was <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean in fairness, they didn't. They they were very uh, clever not to label me anything bad. They just they just stuck to associations because yeah. uh, I do have resources, and I probably would have sued them had they actually <laughs> called me like a white nationalist or something. I've been like, on what grounds are you calling me a white nationalist? It's so it's so detached from reality. But instead, they just made it off of my association of having uh, you know been on shows with ryan dawson twice it's like oh yeah. ooh. <laughs> yeah, ooh. So, so crazy <laughs> and for the record i don't think ryan dawson is, is a white nationalist either uh but it's it's all you know guilt by association bullshit of course well no uh dude ryan's the freaking man like i mean like if anyone hasn't if you're watching this and you haven't seen ryan dawson speak uh you gotta freaking catch it at least once because he's like a freaking tornado i mean like he's yeah. like and and the amount of shit that he has just at his fingertips, like the pull up knowledge wise, like I, I know his uh, positions on Israel in the Israeli pol political state oh, obviously touches is? a nerve. But, you We've know, talked about that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now I know who it is. Yeah. No, yeah. Ross, Ryan's an awesome dude. So, uh, yeah, no, you're and, in and he company. is <laughs> and he is he is reviled for, um, you know, his anti-Zionism more than anything. And, you know, as many people have pointed out. That has nothing to do with the Jewish people. That is just about what many perceive to be an apartheid state, you know, between Israel and Palestine. And, I, you know, this is this is what this is the game. This is how they yeah. play it now. It's like if you are uh, in opposition to the liberal world order or whatever they want to call it, then you are, you know, a hateful, bigoted, alt-right, white supremacist yeah. Nazi scumbag. You know, so I, I, I haven't looked I'm one of them, too, now. 
I haven't I haven't looked at it, but I wonder how Southern Poverty Law Center uh, covered uh, Biden's meeting with MBS and MBS. Basically, when Biden asks him about Khashoggi, MBS like throws it right back in his face. And he's like, I can't remember the name of the reporter, but basically the, the Palestinian reporter or Palestinian sympathetic reporter that was sniped uh, by by the Israelis. Like, I don't even know if they mentioned that they probably never wouldn't even touch that, you know. No, I mean, this is I, I've kind of stopped playing the game of like, oh, you're a hypocrite because, you know, you know, they're not going to apply these same rules to Biden and his uh, meandering thoughts. He's he's a fucking <laughs> idiot lunatic and a scumbag. And it's like they're not they're not going to apply any of that to these guys, uh, but they're going to apply it to random sub 10,000 YouTube subscribed <laughs> accounts like myself. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Not the I, most powerful man in the world. No, no, no. A guy who has been on Timcast once. Yeah. <laughs> Get him. Yeah. So dumb. Um, all right. So uh, let's start it off. So um, I am like an economic nerd. Yeah. Um, Jocelyn is not. I don't put my. I don't want to even put money in banks. I'm like, yeah. let's just keep dollars. <laughs> put them in a piggy bank. <laughs> Bury them in the it. yard. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scary times. so we'll we'll walk through this. Yeah. All right. You, I'm gonna learn. You I'm ask questions. And and if something we say doesn't make sense, ask questions yeah. or something like that. Okay. All right. <laughs> so that'll be perfect, actually. Yeah. I want I want to kick this off by putting you in the time machine. All right. It's 2007. All right. Mm. Uh Paris Hilton is still a thing. Okay. Uh flip phones are still a thing. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, uh, a, like in most people's mind, it's the freshest bad economic period, um, that they can draw a, a parallel to, because if you try and talk to, especially millennials and, and Gen Zers now about the depression, they just can't even, they have no conceptualization of it. Right. Like, I mean, we don't have any conceptualization of it cause we didn't live through it. Right. Um, Oh seven, Oh eight, I think is the probably the one thing that you could really kind of like transport people back to even talking about the inflation crisis in the seventies that led up to the eighties is also something that's really foreign to younger folks. Whereas if you're a boomer, I'm like, you somewhat remember that time period and, and kind of the chaos that happened. But oh, yeah, so they, they um, remember it well, for sure. Yeah, that's not somewhat. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> like, wait, I'm doing the math I, in my head. I, for, for them, I, I for them, be, it's I, the exact same as as 0809 was for me. I mean, it was that same yeah. age range. So, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm watching the financial decisions that are being made. And I'm like, it, even if they can take themselves back to that time period, they obviously didn't learn anything right? like but um you were in the you were in the the housing and the mortgage market um, way was, back yeah. when. Did you work through 0708? What was that like? I came into the mortgage field in 0809, so right in the okay. teeth of the actual recession. Um, I had I had actually started working for my family's business in 07, uh, but it was part time because I was still finishing college. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I got to see kind of the last gasp of the good time, and then I really came in full time for the teeth of the decline. Uh, I mean, it was, it was horrific, man. It was yeah. absolutely horrific. And, and uh, you know, anybody that owned a house during that period will be the first to tell you, I mean, the vast majority of, of housing was cut in half in, in most of the areas of California that I was working in. Uh, it was temporary, obviously it, it recovered because of fed intervention, but it was at the time 
catastrophic because the vast majority of people were buying houses on on no money down or very little down. Uh, many of them lied about their income because there was no underwriting stipulations that required that they prove out their capacity to repay yeah. or to sustain the payments monthly, even much less repay it ultimately. Um, so it was all a house of cards, and uh, and this is why you know people like myself and Ron Paul and others that were privy to the uh, shenanigans were warning about it. And I, I think I even understood it in a, I wouldn't say a deeper way, but a different way from Ron Paul. You know, he was he was analyzing it based off of policy at the federal level and just realizing that that was going to create a bunch of unintended consequences that would ultimately uh, create a, a bubble in real estate. And, and I was analyzing it based off of my understanding of both that as well as uh, the underwriting uh, policies that I was witnessing in the mortgage field. So I knew that it was all garbage. Um, so yeah, it, and it was, yeah. <laughs> it sure yeah. was. No, I, I was a prop trader at the time. Um, <laughs> and so a lot what, of us, what's prop, what's prop trader. I don't know. Like I know proprietary trader. So, uh, you, you front a little bit of your own money. Um, but then the house leverages you up, uh, mm -hmm. and you trade for your own account. Right. So a gotcha. lot of the guys and a lot of the guys I was in the office with, um, during that time period, we'd check in in the morning, you know, we would do our research and stuff like that, but pretty much every, every morning for like four or five months, all we do is at the opening bell, short countrywide, uh, short Washington mutual, short Wachovia, uh, short, yeah, yeah. Like all the home builders, right? Like you, you would just short anything that had to do in anything with housing, right? All the, all the, uh, title insurance companies, um, and then at the end of the day, typically you were up because just everything was just getting destroyed. There was no bid on so many of these you know, securities and, and these markets. Um, but I think uh, something that a lot of people might discount or they might choose to like not even think about is I don't think we ever paid our pound of flesh in 0708. As bad as it was and as much asset destruction happened, um, the, the Fed stepping in effectively truncated the clearing out of all of that dead wood. Um, and yeah, there were some bankruptcies and things like that. But I mean, shit, some of these large investment banks, they basically labeled them too big to fail. And they essentially just kind of like warehoused all this shit that they were selling that was worthless on the Fed's books and subsidized it via the taxpayer. Um, right, exactly. You know, like, do you think there's weight to that? Or do you think we did kind of like, clear out at least some of the garbage oh no we cleared out a lot of it actually in the in the housing market in particular we cleared out a lot of it but what we didn't clear out was the the financial uh mechanisms and new you know derivatives contracts and things like that that's what we didn't clear out and mm. had we allowed everything to collapse as it should have uh then they would you know the the money managers the banks the hedge funds of the world would have realized that okay these these investment creations are very perilous and they probably yeah. would have slowed down with them uh, unfortunately because the only people that really paid the price were the homeowners and then some of the smaller banks which they allowed to go bankrupt uh, but the big banks and the biggest money managers all were bailed out the derivatives contracts exploded from there and they have not looked back since so yeah. uh, i think that's the real price we paid it's like we we did clear out the vast majority of very weak uh, home owners and borrowers, but we didn't clear out the worst actors in the lending realm. And that was catastrophic. And we're, we're now paying that price to this day. Yeah. 
So, all right. So let's go from, do you have questions about that? Like you no, get, you get most of that. I'm just taking it in. I okay. think I get it. Okay. All right. So <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. The, the next stop on the train, I know everyone mm -hmm. wants to get to 2020, but we have to stop at 2018 first, right? Um, 2018, after we basically have this historic bull run in stocks, um, the Federal Reserve tries to take the punch bowl away just a little bit. And then the overnight repo market just explodes. What's a repo market? Okay. So, <laughs> uh, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, Clint. So the repo market is essentially a clearinghouse where all the big banks, at the end of the day, they have to make all the columns line up. Yeah. And so some of the banks at the end of the day, based off all the transactions, they have some cash left over. Some of them have like a cash deficit. And so they all have to kind of like even that out. And so it's basically a, a market that they can all go to and lend to each other if they have extra cash at a very low overnight interest rate to the other banks that need cash in order for them to all kind of square up. And uh, actually, when Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns fell was the last time that the repo market froze up because no one wanted any counterparty risk. They didn't think they would be able to get their money back. So like mm -hmm. if you were Morgan Stanley and you had, you know, $50 million and Wachovia said, Hey, we need 50 million overnight in order to like rectify our books. Right. You were like, yeah, I'm not going to give that to you. Cause I know I might not get it back. Right? right. You might be a liquid. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, that's a pretty good explanation. I, I mean, you have to include the federal reserve in that, in that, uh, equation. Cause ultimately they're the lender of last resort. So yep. if the, the banks themselves aren't able to balance their books, that's where you see the the reverse repos, which is basically the the Fed intervening to make sure that those uh, accounts balance for all of the banks. So, yeah, uh, yeah there, there was some I mean, it, it wasn't reported at the time, uh, but it was enormous sums that were pumped into the system or not really printed, but just kind of like digitally added to the system to keep it from imploding. I don't actually un understand the underlying reasons why there was such uh such issues in that market during that time uh, matt do, are you privy I, I would love to know if you know it yeah so um the the overnight lending uh mechanism is very much based off of uh like it's it's a very complex equation that they have to rectify at the end of the day right because you have all these all these instruments that get uh executed during the day or you have money that goes out the door that might go out in portions or in or in large pieces, right? Um, and so, interestingly enough, we're we're coming into something similar right now. Um, you would think that all the banks flush with cash wouldn't necessarily have a problem with the overnight repo market because just everyone has oodles of cash sitting around. The question is whether or not it's actually accessible, right? And so mm -hmm. they went through all these stress tests and everything like that. And so um, they instituted requirements where. You have to have certain assets on the book and it, and it might not necessarily be cash. So like if you have certain liabilities as a bank, you can't necessarily just keep cash. Like you also have to have like treasuries or something like that in order to offset it so that you have something of value that kind of like balances. Right. And that so equation it was an allocation issue more than it was a, a like exactly a like the, the, issue. The, the stop gaps or the protections that they put in place essentially froze up the market because there just wasn't enough liquid capital in the repo market in order to make things line up at the end of the day. Right. Okay. Well, then that, um, that's not as bad as, as it being a, an actual solvency issue that 
that makes me feel better, I guess. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It doesn't, though, because it really freaked them out. Because if you remember, like they they had easy money policy for like 10 years. We've been on an easy money policy leading up to that. Yeah. The moment they started to just take away like, uh, you know, it's like having a gigantic bowl of cocaine in front of you. And they took like a spoonful out of the bowl. And yeah. all of a sudden, all hell was about to break loose. Right. So. It, it was because oh, were, were they implementing QT at the time? Quant yes, quantitative they, they, tightening? they okay. were just starting to talk about like unwinding that the quantitative easing component of it, which also makes me wonder. And no one reports on this, like all of that shit that's on their books right now. They bought all those mortgage backed securities that were basically worthless. Right. Um, that shit's still there. Right. Like it didn't go anywhere. Like it didn't it didn't like they've since bought other mortgage backed securities that maybe they have a higher street value than the stuff than they bought in 08. But all of that stuff is, it could be completely illiquid crap. Like there might, if they tried to do QT and put it out there on the market, especially at the same time that they're raising rates, there might not be no, they might be zero bidders, right? Because the actual value of the assets that they have on the book might be zero, even though well, they're that's, showing. That's exactly, that's exactly what happened in 08, 09 is that um, I forget which, bank it was i think it was washington mutual uh that you know their their book essentially had no bidders so they they the the uh, fed chair uh i forget who it was at the time or maybe it wasn't the fed chair it might have been uh treasury, treasury secretary. secretary yeah yeah um hank paulson sits down with i think it was jamie diamond of of chase which is now jp morgan chase yeah. and he says if you buy this I will allow this merger and blah, 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 like I'll underwrite it. And that's 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 basically how they remedied things was instead of letting the shit hit the fan like it should have, uh, they they underwrote and guaranteed a bunch of shit that like, hey, if you buy this for above market value, because there is no buyer for it right now, we will guarantee it for you. So I think yeah. that unfortunately, that that precedent has now emboldened everybody that survived that period to behave in a very, uh, you know, terrible fashion, you know, just yeah. very, very reckless fashion. Yeah. Because, uh, at the end of the day, I think a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these wall street types, they just now assume that like, if we make a mistake, right, like big daddy Jay Powell right now, or, you know, treasury secretary Yellen will step in and make sure to like, make it all good. Right. Um, yeah. and they and, have good reason to believe that. And, and also think about it this way. We've been in a, in a period of time with low interest rates and those low interest rates, uh, incentivize risk-taking behavior, right? So we're no longer an economy of savers. We're no longer self-financing loans and things like that. All the loans are just kind of ethereal. Like they're just made up out of nowhere where it used to be like in the eighties after Volcker increases interest rates. People could get a CD or a savings account that actually paid them a decent return on their on their cash, and shit, then not, that money not decent, great. Well, great yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, shit. Like people used to. I worked at a bank for a large uh, when I was at the bank. We first met when I was working at the bank, <laughs> and uh, people will come in all the time, and our CD rates would be like two percent, three percent, four percent. They'd be like, "Man, I remember ten years ago when I could get a when I could get a CD that yielded like nine, ten percent." And I was like, "Yeah, good luck, good luck with that." <laughs> Look at the bond. Are those? I don't honestly like I don't even know CDs from but I don't even know. <laughs> but I was a just CD thinking, is like, a is a certified deposit. It's just uh basically a guaranteed return from the bank if you keep your money with them. Oh. Yeah. 
Well, I was thinking when my parents died, we found these series EE bonds or I bonds or something. Yeah. And I'm like, why don't they have this anymore? It was like, it literally almost tripled in size, yeah. but then you have to keep their. So uh, those are basically you giving your money to the government. And then oh. the government promises you a return. Whereas the CD is a bank. Yeah. Uh, no, they do actually. They they have, uh, I think they're called I-bonds. They're inflation hedges, but you can only buy them up to $10,000 or $12,000 per individual. And yeah. they are, they're hedges against the inflation rate. So there's still stuff out there, but it's just like $10,000 for a serious yeah. investor. That is not nearly enough to hedge Nothing. against inflation. Yeah. yeah. I, any, any of those things that are kind of like inflation connected um, are typically limited because uh that also becomes away. a system <laughs> systemic risk right so like if inflation runs hot for a long period of time the u.s government just paying out like and the other thing is tips like short-term inflation protected securities the the government could run out of money like overnight yeah. because if inflation runs wild they would just be paying all that shit right okay um but so yeah so it wouldn't so, run out they would just print it but i guess oh point. yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah so and and we'll get we'll get to that because we definitely have to play a game of like you know what's going to happen here, right? Like kind of prognostication. Mm. So, but so 2018, that really, Powell got shook when that happened. And so he immediately put everything back into effect. And now we get to 2020, right? Mm. 2020, COVID hits, but what was your assessment of the market just before COVID hit? Did you think everything was hunky-dory or were oh, you no. seeing canaries in the coal mine? No, I mean, I the the market is in a perpetual bubble. It, it's it's almost entirely dependent on Fed policy, though. So, like, I knew that as long as they were to keep rates hyper low, that we could probably keep this game going. Yeah. Um, but I knew that also, eventually, if you keep the the rates low long enough and you incentivize borrowing and and spending and investing based off of borrowed capital. Uh, at hyper low rates, you're going to be forcing more and more people to chase yield, uh, which is a misallocation of capital. Generally, unless you're very, very bright, it's uh, you're you're investing in the top of a market, you know, trying to make gains that are bigger than your three percent that you borrowed the money at, or something like that. And yeah. and as that that compresses, you're you're borrowing for so little, but you're also just barely scraping out a, a yield above that. Uh, it gets very dangerous. And and I think that's the period that we were in pre-2020, where it was already very tight. It was very challenging for pensions, for instance, to to make the necessary return on their investments uh, to pay off their pensioners, the people that rely on that that for you know retirement income, things of that nature. Yep. Uh, so I knew that it was, you know, we were near, we were in an end stage of a bubble anyways, but it was like, then the, then the lockdowns happen. And everything gets disjointed. So we will, I'm sure we'll go into that, but that, yeah. that was my analysis at the time. No, that's, that's a huge lead in because I, that was, that was my perspective as well was we should have hit a recession in 2020. It, it was, it was coming. Right. Um, and it well, was just, you're, you're saying even without the lockdowns, we should have hit yes, a recession. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right, because, right. uh, they, they were getting to the point where like, think about yourself, like, Put yourself in, 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 not that you would want to, but put yourself in Jerome Powell's shoes, right? You've got 10 years of basically zero interest rate. Yep. That is, that is the scariest position as a central banker to be in because you have no ammunition if shit hits the skids, right? right. You have absolutely no way to cut interest rates to then revive the economy if things start to head south. 
And well, they, they think, have additional mechanisms. QE, he could still oh sure uh, juice the Interest system, but but the the real problem that they have is if inflation strikes, then they have no real tools other than to hike rates. And because of the national debt, which he has to pay attention to to some extent too, yep. uh, hiking interest rates significantly is basically politically unpalatable. So yes, you're absolutely right. He was in a very he was in a jam. Oh yeah, and and. When you add in what happened in 2018, I think he was, he very much, he was afraid. Like, I think there's a lot of fear that's driving Fed policy decision right now. It has nothing to do with proactive, like being a good steward of whatever they're tasked with. I mean, I know they say that they're tasked with, you know, stable money and stable markets and then secondarily unemployment or employment. Right. But I, I think they're, they're do, they're, their decision making right now is very much fear-based. It has, I mean, like, you can just tell they're not being proactive. But you don't think that someone <clears throat> has their voice in his ear or anything like that? Well, so that's a good question. So uh, from your standpoint, Clint, do you think that Powell has some level of autonomy? I know they tell us he's supposed to have some level of autonomy, but obviously meets with Biden. He probably, like, fucking Jamie Dimon and the CEO Goldman probably have him on speed dial. Like, Oh yeah. Do you think he's and taking so, marching so do, orders from somewhere else? So so do the uh you know the heads of the Bank of Japan and the Bank of you know the IMF, the English banks, like all everybody has a you know a finger on the lever of the Fed policy. So hmm. uh do I think he has some autonomy? Yes, I think he has some. Yeah. Uh, but do I think he has full autonomy? Not a fucking chance. Like yeah. no way. Yeah, <laughs> he would okay. be he would be assassinated if if that were the case because <laughs> yeah that I, I'm I'm dead serious because yeah. his decision making has so much power, and we're talking trillions and like maybe a quadrillion dollars that he is ultimately uh, able to manipulate because of his position. There's just no fucking way he's the only guy that gets to make that call. Not a chance. Yeah, <laughs> I it's it's almost funny too because. They they make this big show about the FOMC meetings and how there's all these governors that basically meet. You know, like you have the Fed governors from around the country, and then you have like non-voting members and all this other stuff. But ultimately, there's only one vote, right? It's not like it's not decision by committee. Like they give their input or whatever. But at the end of the day, Jerome Powell gets veto power over everything. Is he voted in? No, he's appointed and then by the confirmed president. by the Senate. By. Well, the he was just. Yeah, he was just appointed by for a second term and confirmed by the Senate. So Biden appoints him, which this how was, is that, so how, this was an interesting president appoint like the person who's running. It's a fucking racket. That's why <laughs> no. that doesn't seem correct. So this was an interesting point that someone brought up. But I can't remember where they brought it up. They might have even brought it up on Fox. Every so often they have a, a bright idea. It's once in a while. But um, they talked about how uh, Biden's opportunity politically to distance himself from the inevitable, from what I think you think and what, what I think is coming um, would have been to cut Powell loose and bring in a different Fed chair to then say, you know, the typical political political bullshit. We could just put it on the last guy, right? Like he, he fucked up. I got the new guy in place. We're going to have to, you know, clean things up. Um, but I thought it was an interesting point because why renominate the guy that now everyone's telling you essentially allowed inflation to run wild and is now causing you pretty much all of his political problems. Like he can talk about abortion and guns all he wants, 
But at the end of the day, inflation is what every single American family is thinking about. Um, well, they, they may want to keep that same guy in there to take the fall when when the shit hits the fan and just say, well, you know, he had 10 years to set this monetary policy and, and he fucked it up. It's not us. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, obviously, the Republicans are going to turn around and say, well, you appointed him. Uh, so it's on you. And it's just going to become, uh, you know, hot potato as to who catches the blame. Yeah, I, I, I don't. This is my big question. Like, I don't know who is. I don't know if the, the Fed's policy is to actually defend the dollar or to usher in a central bank digital currency. Oh, like, that's what I, I say to him all the time. I said, this <laughs> yeah. is what's going on. Central digital currency. Yeah. Yeah. To keep well, no, that it's, money unburied in so, the back. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> oh so, so talk us through that. So what would be yeah. the, the thought process or the mechanism <clears throat> of instituting a central bank digital currency? Well, the the thought process would be it's it's a total panopticon, complete control of your populace. Uh, you get to decide who who gets the money, how they spend it, everything. It's it's basically the worst possible thing if you value liberty whatsoever, um, mm. because they can they can decide to implement UBI where they you know force money into the system, which would be extraordinarily inflationary because historically it has just been uh, you know big, big swaths of money that they give to big businesses or big banks, but it hasn't been at the consumer level. You give it to the consumer, it's instantly inflationary. That's exactly what we saw with the even the $1,200 checks, as pathetic as they were yep. uh, during lockdowns. Uh, if you if you cut production, but you also give everybody 1200 bucks that they didn't have before and they go out and they spend it, well, all of a sudden prices start to elevate. And I think that's that's basically what they could do with, with a CBDC is implement UBI uh, and then if you what, want that UBI? money, what's UBI? Uh, excuse universal, me. Basic, universal yeah. basic income. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. What what Andrew Yang, that piece of shit, always talks about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk <laughs> talked about it too. He's like, the robots are going to take over, and so yeah. they'll have to have a universal income. Dude, that guy's the yep. biggest freaking grifter, man. Like, I, what's ooh, what's your opinion? Ooh, Yang on or on? Yang or Musk? No, uh, Musk. I, I'm like, oh, Yang doesn't. Yang's, have a, Yang's a bigger grifter. Come on. You think so? <laughs> uh, at least Musk does something. Yang doesn't do shit. He has babies, apparently. A lot of yeah, them. He's got, he's got nine kids. He's doing shit. Come on. He's trying to he's trying to repopulate the earth just by himself. Um I so all right. So um I agree. Digital currency, universal income. I I, well, I can well, see, them see going... but see, here's the thing though. I, and just to make the point a little bit more specific, I there are banking interests and a bunch of people that are involved in the you know central bank scheme across the globe mm. that probably want to see fiat currency uh, stabilized and survive because mm -hmm. I think there are some some old school families that that are probably benefiting from that you know quasi monopoly or oligopoly uh, that probably would rather not see it change. So right. there, but there's competing interests that that are recognizing that fiat is dying in many countries across the globe and probably the final uh you know hammer to drop will be the US dollar um and and they may be saying to themselves well we need to get in front of this this is where the world economic forum and the great reset com comes in where they say okay fiat is dying they've lost confidence in it we need to implement cbdc's to replace fiat but maintain our position of power in this oligopolist system yeah. um so i think that's that's the real question though is like is powell and are are the Federal Reserve on in the CBDC camp, or are in the or, or or are they ultimately going to prove themselves to be in the defend the existing fiat standard, uh, you know, defend the dollar 
camp. And yeah. obviously, most libertarians believe that the dollar cannot be defended, so they're probably in the CBDC camp. I am still keeping, you know, maybe a 20% window open that they are going to do what's necessary to defend the dollar, in which case we'll have a terrible depression. Yeah. Um, so I don't know which. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people now where I always ask them, like, do you think Powell is more like Volcker or do you think he's more like, you know, kind of like a Greenspan or, or a Bernanke type? Um, I think the jury's still Who out. Knows? Right? Like, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <clears throat> a lot, a lot depends on, and this is also interesting, like, Think about it this way, too. Powell comes across to me as like an old school guy. You got an old octogenarian in, in, in the White House, right? So like you have these kind of like old money interests that and, and a lot of people don't see this, the internal power struggle that happens within politics. Everyone thinks that everyone's a monolith, right? So like a Democrat is a Democrat, a Republican is a Republican. It's bullshit. They have freaking fractures within them. And they're always trying to be, you know, the the crab that gets to the top of the pot, right? Um, it, it almost seems like the, the old money interests are currently in control. The question is whether or not the political get heat gets high enough where they can actually do something like effectively defend the dollar. Right. Um, I've got a lot of people telling me that they think that this leg down isn't going to be nearly as bad as the next one, because I mean, just look at the seventies. Like if I pull up, this is like inflation over time, right? Shit. Mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I don't know if I can freaking uh, put this bigger, but so what you have hit the, hit the it, three dots in the, in the top, right? Uh, doo -doo -doo. Three on. dots in the very top right of your actual browser. I think you should be able to zoom. Let's see. Let's full yeah. screen layout. No, hold on. Oh, up there on the browser up there. Yep. Or, you know, and you could just do control plus. All right. <laughs> I'm such a Luddite. Okay, here we go. There right. we go. Yeah, there we go. All right. So this is basically inflation over, mm. say, the last uh, 100 years or so, right? So these two spikes that happen right here, this is the 40s, right? After basically uh, after the Great Depression or, or in the midst of the Great Depression, depending on how you uh, define it. And then these spikes here are the 70s, right? And so this is essentially so anyone who's not an economic historian during the 70s, you had a big inflation spike. You had a Fed that decided that they were going to take money out of the market to try and quell inflation, but they stopped short of where they needed to. And then you get this second big spike afterward. And so a lot of people are trying to draw the parallel between the 70s and today, saying that what they think is going to happen is Powell is going to flinch you'll end up getting some kind of drop in inflation, but then the next inflationary uh, pump is going to be the death spiral because there's just a fuck ton of money either sitting on the sidelines or sloshing around. And if he doesn't do a decent enough job of actually pulling that money out of the, out of the market, that then the second swath of inflation will be a purely speculative swath where now you're not just seeing equities go up or, you know, or you're not seeing everything go up. You just see this high risk shit go up. So oil to the moon, food to the moon, like rent to the moon, and then everything else sucks, right? Because you're mm -hmm. just basically dumping money into areas that people are forced to purchase as opposed to right now where you still have asset bubbles and some consumer discretionary stuff and, you know, things that people don't necessarily need to survive. Um, do you think that there's going to be this kind of like second 
uh, second coming, well, so to speak, of inflation. Too, it's again here. There's two inflations. Well, no. It, it's, Did they do the same thing? Yeah, no. It it took them. In the 40s? It took them two, three times to figure out that this is the mechanism where if you don't effectively monitor, like M2 is the most important freaking chart to look at. The total I, amount of money that's in the market. That's that's what you need to watch. You can look at CPI all day long. It gets freaking manipulated. Not to mention the fact that everyone says. That if you use the 1980 methods for for the CPI, we're not at nine percent. We're at twenty, right? Like mm -hmm. we're we're at all time highs in inflation. Um, but yeah, it they they suffer the same mistakes over and over again. And well, I'm assuming I, assuming they're mistakes, but yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, yeah that's, that's true. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> but, but so yeah, that's I think that's mm. that's the thing that everyone's <clears> waiting <throat> to see is. Are we going to get some kind of relief and then all of a sudden another pop? Or is this the fall that actually, you know, fixes, you know, air quotes, fixes the problem, the inflation problem? Yeah, I've already, I've already, you know, my, my predictions are on the record for quite some time now that I think that we'll experience a whipsaw where yeah. you, you get in, you get inflation and then you have this hiking interest rate cycle that will, start to rattle the market so severely and start to you know rattle uh, employment pretty significantly mm. to the point that the Fed reverses course and then all of the trillions that they've pumped into the system over the past two years during COVID uh, will flood back into the market because the investors will think that risk is back on and that they should be you know playing the inflationary game again and uh, and at that point it'll probably be too too hard for them to stop it I so my my personal prediction has been that what they're doing right now is buying themselves time to get the CBDC in place so that when the dollar inevitably dies, they are ready to transition to it. Um, mm. You know, I don't I don't have enough proof to say like this definitively. It's just based off of my analysis of like what is inevitably going to happen. You have right. too much money you pumped in the system in order to remove it. You would have to do QT that would make your mother cry. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think that the political will will exist. So they're going to hike rates temporarily, crush the market, crush employment very briefly, reverse course, and then uh, the hyperinflationary period hits in earnest. So this is why I still am a believer in Bitcoin or, or whatever cryptocurrencies you prefer. Uh, I'm still a believer in gold and silver uh, because and, and ultimately I will be a believer in real estate uh, once we see a correction in real estate from these this hiking interest rate cycle. Which I, I would imagine will probably be, uh, you know, a good buying opportunity sometime in 2023, and then, uh, then the shit hits the fan after that. That's that's so my like, prediction. For people like me, I know you try <laughs> to explain this to me all the time, mm. and I just can't. I ask him like every three days <laughs> when you say this is just really basic question here, <laughs> but when you say you have to raise interest rates to drop inflation, like in a really easy, how to. Like, what's the me what's the mechanism? I'll put, that I'll put that it does? as sim simply as possible. Mm -hmm. The the an interest rate is the price you pay for money. So, if you're going to be an investor, say you want to buy a house and you borrow it at ten percent, well, you're not going to be able to buy as much of a house, right? Because that that's going to cost you more per month because of the interest rate you're paying. So that means that you're going to offer less to buy the home. So if you hike interest rates, it reduces the the price of assets that are being acquired in that in that current economic system. So uh, that's the that's does that make sense? Kind of. 
<laughs> so the the higher the interest rate, the lower the purchase price. The lower the interest rate, the higher the purchase price. That's really that's. But really it doesn't get the money out of the system, right? The money that was pumped in, well, it doesn't get that out. A, that's what the quantitative tightening does. It's where the the Fed actually absorbs some of the capital that they've lent out to these banks. Uh, but there's also uh, a deflationary effect because you have the the assets themselves become worth less, not worthless, but worth less. And that that makes the uh, you know the economy have less liquidity in it because you're if you're if your stock price has gone from five hundred dollars a share to two fifty and you have all you know the whole Fortune five hundred has had that that means that that money is gone. It's basically been absorbed from the system or you know removed from the system in the form of losses. Uh, so that is instead of the the banks eating it, they allow the investors to eat it. I mean the banks are oftentimes investors, so this gets really convoluted, but. I hope that makes sense. <clears throat> that makes yeah. sense. You also have the rollover of debt too. <clears throat> so if you're going right. to carry debt, right, and you then have to roll it over at a higher interest rate, right? It also has Which like many a, corporations a borrow effect. on on a two, like a one, two, and five year uh, duration. So if if their debt is due two years from now, and and then say the two year period comes up while we're in this elevated interest rate cycle, well, then it's much more expensive for them to pay that debt. Which means that yep. they they have to remove capital from employment R and D, uh, you know, all sorts of other aspects of their business enterprise. So that that is also deflationary in effect. So hiking interest rates creates a deflationary cascade in many many ways. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you a question about the I, oh, obviously before before Gene Epstein rips me an asshole. Uh, I mean price <laughs> deflationary. Yes. Uh, by by an Austrian vantage point. Uh, the only inflation and deflation occurs when you either create or destroy money itself. Yeah. Like that's how that's how they view it. I I speak in more of a, an investor's lexicon. You know, like it's deflation. Like if I if I could buy a house for two hundred thousand dollars and it was worth a half a million dollars two years ago, well then that's a deflationary period because my yeah. dollar is going <laughs> further. So I speak in price deflationary terms or price inflationary terms. So. Uh, this is not so much for you, Jocelyn, as much as to make sure that the Austrians don't fucking <laughs> yeah. tear me apart. Um, I and uh, one of the dudes I watch religiously. I don't know if you've you've caught his his channel. Guys, guy goes by the name of the Maverick of Wall Street. Um, every single episode, at least twice, he plays the sound bit where he's like, uh, "Inflation is always, always a monetary phenomenon, right?" Right, and it's it's specifically targeted at the current time period where everyone on the entire, especially in the political spectrum, uh, as they run for lifeboats, they're trying to get you to think that inflation has to do with Putin or uh, supply chain issues and stuff like that. And those things might have exacerbated the problem. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the core problem or, or the core source of inflation in this marketplace is the, the monetary policy you know, easy monetary policy, low interest rates and the printing of money. Um, and it's, you know, I, you know, what's, what's also interesting is um, the, 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 the thought that, so like we're all in the fed types, right. <laughs> and the thought that like, okay, so what comes next, right? Like if you did end the fed, if you could snap your fingers today and just like freaking shut them down. Right. I, I almost like want to play a devil's advocate and be like, would that just mean that the CBDC people would win faster, right? Like that's the one thing that I always like. It it makes me think about that quite often to wonder whether or not that's something that 
you know, it's like it's like when you uh, when you fire your head coach, right? Like, yeah, but who are you going to hire, right? Like, what comes well, next? I mean, if if you're a consumer, if you're like us, you would you would almost certainly shift to gold, silver, and Bitcoin. Hmm. Um, but for uh, I mean, if you're ending the central bank, the Fed, yeah. uh, you you would imagine that there would be no mechanism to implement a CBDC because a central bank digital currency is undoubtedly going to be managed by yeah. a central bank. Uh, so, uh, or well, so there have been, there have been, I don't know if these were just kind of like, um, just misdirection or things like that, but there have been warning shots fired by say like Janet Yellen, um, talking about, you know, if the fed fails, what they could do is just ingest the fed into the U S treasury. Right. Um, I don't even, I don't even see what difference that makes. It's like, to me, it's all kind of the same thing anyways, but it, maybe well, you it would put it even standpoint. closer to the political process, right? Like now there's not even an illusion of impartiality right now. It's just, a I'd, I'd almost prefer that. I'd almost prefer that people know that this is a political, uh, apparatus that's controlling the value of your savings, the value of your currency. Like fuck this shell game where they have everybody thinking, Oh, it's some independent bank that's making these decisions. Like yeah. I, I would almost rather it be like, okay, yeah. This is a complete scam con game to rip off every man, woman, and child of their hard-earned savings from time and memoriam all the way into the future until we have a fucking Great Depression globally. Like, yeah. I, I hate the fact that people are able to say, well, the central bank, you know, the Federal Reserve is a private bank. It's like, yeah, yes, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. Well, if the guy is elected by the president and not voted in, I feel like that's... I'm also super I'm also super I agree I agree. So I bet it doesn't apply, but the SCOTUS ruling that just came out about the EPA not being able to like make law based off of appointed like what if someone was, actually tried to connect those dots with the Fed, right? <laughs> I wish, man. Like yeah. you uh, can't I mean, make laws by not if you're not appointed by the people? Well, no, no. Well, yeah, you have to be an elected person and actually vote for laws whereas like the elected people can't defer their uh, they, they delegated to the EPA to be able to actually write regulations. And, yeah. and that's what, that's what SCOTUS, the Supreme court came out and said, no, you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. I like this. SCOTUS. Well, well, yeah, me for too. Now you do. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, all right. So let me kind of like pivot a little bit and ask you how ESG works into this, because I know you've been big on ESG. Um, yeah. Essentially, like a very kind of like basic idea. What is ESG and how do you think it kind of like factors into this overall, you know, economic manipulation that's happening? Um, it's complicated. It, well, ESG is environmental, social, and governance. It's a, uh, basically a new accounting paradigm where they get to create a corporate credit score as opposed to a social credit score. So while, while libertarians, the Alex Jones of the world, were all concerned about a social credit score, uh, they created ESG to implement kind of a woke ideology, a Marxist takeover of the corporate world, literally the world over. Yeah. Um, so dealing with environment kind of thing. Yeah. And that's environmentalism, but also social justice and then also governance, including, um, you know, like the the uh, racial makeup of your board, things like that. That's what we were. Not this has anything to do with what we're talking about, but we were just listening to what's her name? Shiva, yeah, uh, Randana Shiva, Shiva, yeah, and it was talking. She was talking about how, like, in India, the they force the farmers to use fertilizer, 
And then they said, this fertilizer is killing the environment. So we're taking your land. <laughs> like, like, we'll just put these out there. They're going to kill everything. And then we're going to blame you yeah. for what you they did. did. They did and a similar thing in Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka is now bankrupt because of it. Um, yeah. They're also doing a similar thing in the Netherlands right now, which is why we're seeing those protests uh, from the farmers. I mean, this is this is all ESG. Uh, so I think that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily play into central bank policy, or at least it doesn't yet. It will soon because what they're trying to implement now is a social justice, AKA an ESG criteria within fed policy. This is yeah. actually something that's happening in Congress what? right now where they're trying, I shit you not. Um, so if that happens, then, yeah, forget it. I mean, we're fucked at that yeah. point. No, I mean, they were uh, yelling. And I think at one point Powell was talking about um, like an implied uh, uh, mandate of equality and equity. Right. Like yep. he, he was almost trying to build it into the inflation conversation. So like what? the idea that stabi price stability was also an avenue for equity and equality for, you know, disenfranchised peoples within within the community, which is really scary because that goes way, way, way down a rabbit hole of. Uh, so the, the, the Fed's tools are the Fed's tools are not targeted. Right. Like the Fed's tools are are wide sweeping. So like if you have an inflationary bubble like in 0708 where it was mostly housing that was driving up the inflationary bubble, um their tools hurts everything, okay? Now we have an inflationary bubble that is literally everything, right? Um but so when they implement those tools, they're essentially causing max pain across the entire economy and typically it has ripple effects into the the rest of the world. Um as soon as you start to weaponize that and use that as a means for, you know, shit. equity, <laughs> equality, and all this other yeah. stuff, it gets really fucking scary because you're now talking about, like, you know, someone who could be like, white people have too much money, increase interest rates or whatever. Like, you know, you, you could well, talk flip, about some really sinister shit. Yeah, flip, flip it and imagine this. Unemployment is at 3%, but black unemployment's at 5%, mm. you know? And like, even though historically that's, those are both really good numbers, yeah. it would be, that would, that would allow them to say, well, forget this 3% figure. We're focused on making sure that black people are at maximal employment. So yeah. now we're going to keep interest rates. We're going to go negative interest rates, for instance, which is something America has never done, but other central banks are, are, have been doing over the past decade. Uh, this would enable them to basically ignore the prior protocols by which they allegedly established monetary policy uh yeah. very very fucking dangerous and and something that we flatly cannot allow to happen i mean unless you're a, a collapsitarian in which case bring it on because it'll absolutely yeah. collapse <laughs> yeah no no shit um i uh, that that is one of those things that i waver between like you know i, I consider myself like more on the agorist spectrum um you know i've spent a lot of time with i'm my just kids. on the spectrum yeah <laughs> most of us are on the spectrum um <laughs> actually neurodivergent you, no, <laughs> we, we, we were just talking it. To, to make a left it. turn quite literally in this conversation we were just talking about earlier about so you came up in the 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 the, the therapy world right right um, i'm a therapist but and, i don't I'm not practicing and <laughs> therapists have always lived in this world of this just amazing freaking acrobatics with terms and definitions and stuff like that and yep. this idea of neurodivergence. Well, versus this was not when I was in neuro, school. This was not. What's the other one? This is how old I am. Yeah. Neurotypical. Neurotypical. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, and I was like, my my typical like uh, un PC self. I was like, 
why don't they just call it not retarded? Like, why? Why? <laughs> Wait, doesn't because that get the a, job done? They talk about stim. Yeah, like, I can't. I can't stimming. I, I can't. Well, I'm, I'm so old that when I went to school, the big talk was everyone has prejudice. Yeah, like we didn't talk about racism. It was everyone had prejudice. Like that. It was a much kinder conversation than yeah. it is now. Yeah, but. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole different rabbit hole that we can yeah, go. I don't down. know. Where well, we yeah, I mean, that ties that ties into the ESG stuff, though. I mean, yeah. this the so it's very complicated, but the the mechanism for the complete Marxist takeover of civilization globally uh, starts with ESG on the corporate level. Then you have uh, DEI on the collegiate and uh, and like hiring level, DEI? which it's to diversity, equity and inclusion, okay. which is basically you know, modifying your hiring practices to try and make sure that you have a diverse enough workforce yeah. and la, 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 la. And then um, on the school level, there's uh, on like the elementary school level, it's SEL, which is social emotional learning. Um, but all three of these evil fucking acronyms, very few people understand. And they have been getting rolled out over the past 15 years. And it is exactly why when you can, when you combine all three, it's exactly why our culture has become so insanely woke so rapidly. But we're going to blow your minds with 2027 before you leave. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Lay it on me. I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. I, I can, I can tell you from, so like I've been in the insurance space for over 12 years now. Um, the, the DEI like invaded the insured space. It became like commonplace. Right. And they use that as an avenue to get to the ESG. Right. Yeah. So it's like well, what year, what year did DEI come in? Yeah. So, uh, probably maybe four years ago, it really started to like, and the way it became really noticeable was all of these people that were like in the HR departments, all of a sudden they started branching out and becoming these consultants, these DEI consultants that would then come in and, you know, consult on policies and hiring practices and give talks and things like that. Um, and it's, it's really messed up too, because I, like a lot of these people I was very close to and like the, they themselves don't even know what they're doing because there are very productive conversations you can have about having a diverse workforce, right? Like it's, sure. it's documented, like diverse workforces are, are more productive, assuming you have the culture to support it, right? If you have a shitty culture, well, well and also assuming diversity hire, it's worse, you know, well, and also assuming you're hiring actually talented people of diverse yes. backgrounds. You can't just say, Oh, well, I have this diverse group of gangsters that are now <laughs> running yes, Goldman yeah. Sachs. You'd be like, well, I'm fucked. Well, no, and we had that conversation too. Like they would be called into like a Goldman Sachs type organization in the insurance industry. And, uh, you know, they'd like, they do this talk about, you know, hiring practices and that kind of thing. And there's always someone on the board who's basically, you know, in these old white man, uh, um, you know, institutions is like the token hire, you know, they're the token hire, right? Um, they would bring in the DEI consultant to give a talk or whatever. And then to be like, okay, we checked that box and they'd move on. Like I almost found that more palatable than the other institutions or the other organizations that went full the other end where it became like all these employee resource groups. And like, I mean, like some of my friends were telling me about how like some of their, some of, some of the people in the department would just uh, sign up for all these different groups so that they would never have to work because every single one of them has a meeting 
right? So you just mm. go to a meeting, get free lunch in the afternoon. You go to a free meet. It's like in well, uh, it's like an office space where it's like, you know, to tell you the truth, <laughs> probably only work about 15 minutes out of every single day. Like, well, in the same frame, from yeah. a, you know, going to school as a therapist and you, you know, if you want to get, and this is the whole license, we've talked about licensure. I don't mm. really believe in licensure mm. and um, preaching to the choir. And the so the licensure it used to be when you first got in, right? It was like, oh, you had to do your, you know, your every year you had to do your credits or whatever, you move towards it. And then and it used to be fun. I'm an arts therapist. So it used to be a bunch of women dancing and a girl. <laughs> like yeah. it used to be fun, you know. Uh and then somewhere within a few years of me like getting you know, uh, out of school, it became these like, sit down, you have to know exactly what's racism and what's, you know, and, yeah. and white privilege. And you have to sit there and say what your white privilege, I mean, it's crazy. Yep. And in you know order why? to keep your license, you, you have you invited to do the that. Vampire in. You invited the vampire in with the, the, the nice, yeah. comfortable talk about how you have biases. And then all of a sudden it became oh, you're white and straight, you're a piece of shit, and you have to say that in front of the entire office building before we start, with, you know, before this meeting ends. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. we really let the devil in. Like, we let the... For real, in. and you have to, like, <laughs> be there, and, like, you have to admit your stuff. Like, I mean, it's such a strain, and in the therapy world, is so super liberal. Like, I can't even, I yeah. can't even. <laughs> yeah, but just kind of, like, detailing the the blueprint that, that you laid out, um, it definitely seems like like DEI and there were probably other predecessors too that came before it. It just is this, this natural progression where they kind yeah. of, you know, well, they the, implement the first thing that seems mild and innocuous. And then it just gets steadily like ramped up and ramped up and ramped up. At least in that world, you know, but yeah, I, well, that that's why DEI has, has taken such a stranglehold over corporate America is because uh, ESG, your score is largely dependent on how good your DEI is. Yeah, you know, how how hardcore your HR representative is about you know hiring a diverse background of people and are are you paying everybody equally? Are you in, are you inclusive? Do you allow uh, you know sexual assault or, or harassment to be reported and do you fire people? Like so, uh, obviously some of this all it sounds reasonable because you're like, well, I don't want to have a workplace where people are getting sexually harassed, but you create this culture of like. You can elevate yourself from being a perpetual victim, and if you're in a if you're in a competitive workplace where you're trying to innovate and create and produce, but the way you elevate your employees is based off of how many grievances they have, you know, and how many bosses they've gotten fired. Well, it's only a matter of time before China is fucking eating your lunch. Yeah. And, well, you and, know, and that's what we're seeing. I feel like what well, I think I'm understanding the whole ESG thing. <laughs> Great. That was, what that was kills me is like, I mean, well, first of all, to for corporations to just the whole thing is a little crazy. But then to think that that might be like put on a corporation, but that same corporation is doing all their work in China or in another country or, you know, and they're not. And it just seems so convoluted in so many ways. Like there's so many just how how can it be? pure in any way shape or form i don't know if well, that's it's, the way to it's say not it. it's not pure it's it's, it's really just, just some about, fucking made up shit it is it's totally that's made crazy. up shit but it, it's crazy. also about subduing the uh, the populist left because they yeah. were very upset with the banks after 0809 and and they were trying to basically nationalize banks that's like what many in occupy wall street wanted to see done they wanted a full 
socialist economic model. Um, and the banks sensing that uh, concocted ESG along with the United Nations to basically get them off their back. And that's yeah. what they successfully did. I mean, yeah. that's what politics does. They take away everything that's important and they focus on things like, well, like for, forcing the abortion issues or forcing the, you know, Wait, I mean, but they you, take all. Of yeah, the... but you always have to remember that that's the diversion, right? Like that's right. that's the but that's like that's what's the circus, the but level, the, right? the circus is there to not show you the rod, right? Like the, the right. real yeah. rod is is what's happening economically. Yeah. Hands yeah, down. The, the social fights are usually secondary to the money fights because yes. the money fights is what people really care about. So. When it comes to infiltration of corporate America or the corporate world, you know, globally, uh, that's the real shit, you know, because that's where the money's at. And and when they when they feed you, you know, when they feed the conservatives a minor victory when it comes to overturning Roe versus Wade, I always view it as such. I go, okay, well, they're going to feel like they now have a voice, so hopefully they won't revolt against this incredibly corrupt system that's robbing them blind. And inflating yeah. away their savings and, you know, making it impossible for them to retire because now it'll be harder for, you know, their neighbor to abort their kid. It's like, well, well yeah, I mean, I guess. Crazy. Well, yeah. it's even it's, it's it's even more insidious than that because there's a huge fundraising boom that happens afterward. Right. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. have no intention of fixing what they riled you up over. Right. right. And so you essentially gave your money to someone who is now going to go to D.C. or stay in D.C. more importantly they're not going to fix that. And then they're going to further push this train down the tracks for ESG and this fucking WEF globalist shit that then mm. makes your life even worse. Right. Like I, who is it? Uh, the, yep. the Canadian reporter. Is it uh, Laura or Lauren Chen? Um, she had one of the, she had one of the best quotes I've ever seen in the, my entire life. She said, I refuse to continue to fund my own oppression because that's exactly what this is. It's like, it's a, a way of being like, hey, look over here, we're gonna fight for you. Now give us money, power, influence. And then what we're really doing is freaking backdooring you over here with all right. this other sinister shit. Well, I mean, yeah. a perfect example is like the row overturn is, that's a Supreme Court decision. Like I'm not even saying that it was, it's a concocted decision. I think that the Supreme Court heard it and they ruled how they you know felt based off of their, their political ideology. Uh, but the if you look at what Republicans in power versus the Democrats in power, and I'm not saying on the Supreme Court level, I'm saying, you know, people that actually get to write laws like the Democrats, they could have fucking, uh, you know, made Roe the law of the land had they wanted to at any point that they controlled, you know, the presidency, the House and the Senate. They yeah. never did it. They never did it because they love having that political football to constantly fear monger the left about, yeah. well, you have to vote for a Democrat president, even if his brain is literally leaking out of his ear because if- <laughs> And he's if reading someone... from note cards. Yes. Repeat line. <laughs> yeah. This is where you sit, dumb bitch. Like this is where you sit. Yeah. Uh, they, they, have to, they have to keep that political football up in the air so that they can say, you have to vote for this dude, even though he put God knows how many millions of black people behind bars and he's a total fucking piece of garbage because, because he gets to appoint a Supreme Court justice, maybe two, and that yeah. might protect your right to abortion. I mean, it's just so transparent when you actually step back from it so all and go crazy. like, these people don't actually do anything. The legislators don't do fucking anything for us. Nothing. Yeah. Then I'm, I shit on the left. Let me say, conservatives are hor horrific. They've had, you know, times when they had full power. They never fucking balance budgets. They never do anything that they uh, they claim to represent. They 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 don't do. Um, they don't really rein in monetary policy or spending or anything else. It's just they're they're all 
fucking fraudulent scumbags and they are both working in tandem to ultimately implement you know things that anybody that values liberty should be completely opposed to yeah can, can i ask you just a random question <laughs> sure <laughs> So we talk about this. Do you think there's going to be another pandemic, like another moment where they lock down? Matt thinks it's going to be. I think it's going to be like economics. out of economic. No, but you think it's going to be economics that cause that to come in. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think there's going to? I be think. Something... I think the first lockdown was economic. Yeah, it could. It could have been. I think the first lockdown was to give them cover to print all this fucking money. Is what I think it was. Could it could have been? I, I mean, it's kind of like the row thing. It's like I said. You know, it's a distraction, but it doesn't mean that it was created as a distraction. It's just utilized as one. And I think yeah. that COVID could be a similar thing. I, um, I forget. Do you put this on YouTube? It's all good. Dude. <laughs> okay. If I get kicked off, I'll wear it as a badge of honor. Go for okay, it. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I think that the creation of COVID and the funding of gain-of-function research, you know, it's like that That to me, and the fact that they covered it up, um, yeah. That gives me enough doubt as to, you know, was this unleashed on the on the earth intentionally? And was oh, yeah. it done? Definitely. Was it done to uh, allow them to, you know, as Matt just said, print and borrow all this money to bail out their friends while also uh, crushing uh, consumer demand temporarily to uh, prevent the inflationary uh, period that would have occurred instantaneously had you, uh, you know, not. So I don't know. It's all it's all very it's all very. Um, you know, you get real, real Alex Jonesy if you start going down that path. Oh, but yeah. I'm sorry, what, what was your question? Well, no, but also it's interesting that, you know, people were saying like the vaccine passport things were kind of beginning runs for that digital currency. I mean, it was connected, you know, in a lot of conspiracy minds that all of that work was kind of beginning the process. Well, to make it did. Way for it did. It did begin that process, yeah. whether or not that was the intention of the release or, I mean, it may you be know, connected. I don't know. Who knows? Well, yeah, <laughs> no, there's... there's there's a couple of countries now where like whereas it was somewhat rebuffed in the US. I mean, I mean, you see it in Canada right now, right? Um, you saw it to to the fullest extent in China, right? You've seen a couple of the stories about the bank runs in China and how they stopped a number of the organizers of the protests at out in front of the banks from being able to travel because they just clicked off their travel status on their on their passport. Yeah, they um, said that they they were COVID positive, and they're like, "All right, well, we're gonna arrest you if you don't get a, get out of line for this bank." It's like, "Oh, I wonder why." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's. And then, it's, by the way, that bank went bankrupt last week. I don't know if yes. you're aware of that. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, try, and this is the other thing is China has such a. I mean, like obviously, you don't get full information from them because everything is is controlled, as if it's not controlled here in the U.S. As far as when it's leaked, but. Um, it's the, the economic situation in China also has it sent me down a rabbit hole wondering whether or not <laughs> we didn't sleep whether for like 24 or not, hours. <laughs> whether or not the COVID I like it. release I like it. I do that shit too. The whether or not the COVID release was a targeted economic attack on China to try and stave off almost like the inevitable, right? Like China is on our heels, and then the question being whether or not it was something that was essentially like a a, a a biometric nuclear bomb that they set off. And it's ironic that they set off something that has such a low death rate, but it's like, it's almost like it was planned because to, to target China specifically, or at least that part of the world. And I guess maybe they just assumed that there was going to be blowback and then they would end up getting that, you know, here. And then 
they figured, all right, well, how do we turn lemons into lemonade? Oh, we'll just lock everyone down and stave off the recession or Get the depression for Get rid of all the old people years. so they don't have to you pay know? their social security. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, come right. on. No, uh, that, was, that was my thought early on when I first realized that it was so lethal to the, you know, elderly and infirmed population. I was like, Listen, well, they can't afford... Not- all the it's unfunded liabilities of Social Security and Medicaid and, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's not that COVID is so bad. It's they kill them in the hospitals. It's just the plain old truth. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But also the elderly, if you're north of 80 and you have, you know, diabetes and shit like that, like COVID yeah. is definitely enough to kill you. It is. Yeah. I mean, it does, um, but yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's the treatments in the hospital, like refusing respiratory therapy or, you know, so, those other things. So a lot, oh, yeah. a lot of then, then they lot. refuse the ivermectin or whatever else. Yeah. That might and then they give you five them. rounds of remdesivir in 24 hours. Yeah. Which is definitely you. enough to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Which causes the same shit that they tell you that they're trying to prevent. Right. <laughs> so where, where I come at it from a lot of this stuff, a lot of times it boils down to economics. A lot of times I'm 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 more than often tracing money or capital flows versus actually tracing uh you know uh, who shook hands with who and 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 all the kind of like interpersonal stuff, right um so <laughs> do you want to introduce the idea of 2027 so wait a t- minute hold on did you you didn't get his opinion on where the the, the market's going oh, oh you oh. should do that before you hit no, no, 2027 no. so i you did I, say the word I think, depression. I think you've talked about the whipsaw. Yeah. I think Michael Burry, if you pay attention to Michael Burry, talked about the bullwhip effect and the fact that the, the amplitude of the bullwhip is increasing over time. Um, I, I think that's something you're on board with, right? You you think we're in a fall. What will happen is we'll have another inflationary rise, and that will probably be the, the bubble pop, the, the big one, yeah. right? I mean, or or it could be a double whipsaw where they yeah. do it twice and then it dies. I, I'm not sure how many times it'll take, but I think we're very, very close to the end of both both the U.S. dollars, you know, reserve currency status, as well as um, the sustainability of almost any fiat currency across the globe. Like yeah. they're all dying. The whole reason that you're seeing, uh, I mean, full on revolutions in some countries and major, major protests in others is because all of this stuff has hit basically at the same time. Like ESG, uh, monetary manipulation, the printing, the increasing of interest rates, which is now uh, creating you know recessionary pressures or depressionary pressures. Um, all of it combined simultaneously on top of the fact that they've they fomented such uh, uh, social discord amongst like people based off of race relations or their sexuality. Like, like all of this is, so, it's just, it's just a perfect storm, man. I like, I'm very, I'm very, very concerned about how it plays out because even though I think it's inevitable and I would like to get a better foundation economically where we're, we're functioning off of a more Austrian uh, worldview where we have sound money and, and uh, you know, the, the market sets interest rates and all these other things that could come at the end of this, like in the interim, it's going to be excruciating. You're going to see, um, you know, possibly many, many millions of people starve to death. I mean, yeah, like the, what they're well, doing no, it's, arms is so dangerous. It's it's already happening, right? I'm mean, like you uh, and uh, uh, I still can't remember her first name. She was first name, Doctor Mandavi. Manda- Manda- you gotta watch Manda- her. Manda- She's so okay, fucking amazing. So she was. Uh, you should put her in she, the chat. Or she was. So she was one of. <laughs> she was one of the. She was one of the organizers of the seed revolt that happened in do India. Do you remember that when they wanted to do the Monsanto and? she like did the organic seeds she so, really pulled together farmers so she she created yep. 
she create like uh, th this this is always kind of like a conversation that we're having within the libertarian and the anarchist world right it's like it's not enough to just be able to see the problems and be against them right like you're not helping unless you're helping to build the alternative or what happens after the fall right like you you could be the greatest prognosticate you could be fucking nostradamus but that doesn't help anyone right like it, it doesn't well it helps if you're informing people but it, otherwise it does, yeah it does but hopefully you're at least motivating them right like to, to then create right, right. like whatever comes next right well that so, that's always a big aspect of my show is i'm trying to fire people up to go and take you know financial control of their lives to realize that like their employment situation no matter how stable it feels right now is probably very tenuous whether they know it yeah. or not and yes. to start to take like an entrepreneurial path, start to create or to, or at least learn the skills uh, so that you can sustain yourself when the fucking system eats shit. Like if it's hunting or if it's farming or whatever, like all of these things. And believe me, I was never a prepper, like, I, but I totally <laughs> sound like one now. You know, I was never, ever a prepper. But I'm telling you, like, if you don't have some of these skills or if you don't have financial resources, you don't have Bitcoin, you don't have gold, you don't have silver, you don't have guns, you don't have ammo, you don't have a farm, you don't have, you know, like, well, then fucking forget it, dude. Just enjoy the the gulag because you ain't going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, I was we, we talk about that all the time because like uh, We're you even thought it was a little crazy when I first started going down this road and all of a sudden I did. Like, the pieces came to play like because we, I was they always had this one we store. Have, we have we have food storage. I mean, like I've I've gotten into I've always been a pro 2A person, but like I've gotten into firearms big time. Um, yeah. I, I've also gotten into a lot of other areas that would have to do with you know self sustainability and and kind of like we were looking at moving to new hampshire at one point in time it just wasn't Timing in the cards so we're homesteading in new jersey like i'll, I'll be behind enemy in lines <laughs> uh, when the shit goes down right yeah um I'll, I'll i'll be defending the cucumber plants with my ar but um, yeah well no no not just the chipmunk i'm gonna eat that son of a bitch but anyway uh, <laughs> but no it's uh, so th this woman, the way they fought back against um, Amazing. The, the the basically the the true fascism, like it was a perfect example of fascism. You had Monsanto, Monsanto and other ag companies that essentially paired with the Indian government and other outside influences to then create this uh, uh, pressure cooker for farmers where they were you know, required to comply to certain regulations, use certain types of seeds. If they tried to organically farm and, and the GMO seeds then cross-pollinated yeah. with yours, yeah. Monsanto then sued you or like took your property or said that you couldn't you know, use your own seeds. She started, she, she was a badass. She would just start seed banks. It's and she was like, she would just awesome. give these, because they had a rash and, and if anyone wasn't paying attention, I think she said the number was 400,000 farmers in India over suicide? a period of 10 years committed suicide because ah. in their culture, it's a great deal of honor too. So like if you're a farmer and your crop fails, like you feel like you failed your family and you failed like your heritage and stuff, you you basically commit Harry Carey. Yeah. Um, they had 400,000 farmer male farmers that she basically like, killed themselves the other week she said something like a certain amount of people killed just committed suicide just that week and that yeah. was last week yes yeah i and mean it, it's crazy I, mean, it's and I don't i don't think people are extrapolating this out either it, this isn't exclusively india you have the south african farmers have similar oh, yeah. issues but it's usually them being murdered uh then you also have in the netherlands i mean the fortunately those farmers for the most part didn't decide to kill themselves but they decided to rise up instead right. i mean but if you see this happening in multiple countries simultaneously, it you have to start something. asking yourself why. Why <laughs> yeah. is this happening? And, then and you how have, is it happening? And then you have Bill Gates buying up our farmland. Yeah. 
and fucking exactly. all kinds of shit. And then, so, and then you have to conclude that, oh, it's all coincidental. If you don't yeah. want to be a fucking yeah. <laughs> like, come on, man. Just by accident. <laughs> so yeah. there, there was actually, um, I've, I've shared this sound bit with you, or, or at least I kind of replied to you on Twitter with it. Um, one of the most poignant things I ever heard was a commodities trader while oil was still at like 80 or 90 and on the rise. I, I still think oil is going back up. I mean, it already started going back up today, but, um, when oil was on the rise, he basically made the comment. He said, this is the revenge of the old economy. You've essentially mm -hmm. chose progressivism over the old world economies of energy production, food production, um, basic materials and manufacturing. And you've chosen tech. You've chosen, uh, you know, uh, the the, met the metaverse. Like, th think of like the, the most pretentious freaking uh, champagne Not socialist idea that you could build <laughs> an economy on. And it's the fucking metaverse. Right. Um, I think, I think and, that's a really profound point. Let me just highlight it real quick. Is that. Yeah. You know, if you if you get so detached from reality that you believe that like you can create a a viable alternative life that's in the internet space, yeah. well, then obviously you've already become very detached, um, you know, psychologically from the the physical needs to sustain life on the planet. Yeah, I think that that's like we haven't really even come to terms with how dangerous this mentality is of like your avatar online, as long as it has a dope wardrobe, it doesn't matter that you don't have food in your fucking apartment. You know, like yeah. this is, yeah. this is a really dangerous <laughs> way to look at things. Yeah. Well, we always talk about like, this is a constant conversation with us, which is like how far from nature in the natural order of things are we from as human beings in our culture. And like, yep. we're constantly striving to like connect back. I mean, you look like pharmaceutical with the whole COVID thing. With, I mean, everything yep. we're so far from mm -hmm. our natural way of being. And, you know, just like knowing how to hunt, knowing how to garden, knowing how to take care of yourself, knowing, you know, yeah. uh, how to survive. We're so fucking far. I well, mean, a perfect example. Down, Look, look, I, I have more conversations, you know, face to face through this camera yeah. than I do people in real life. I mean, and yeah. that's, For that real. can't we be healthy. We have three kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, let me dovetail that into the, the 2027 thing. Okay? Oh, it's so good. So, We're uh, going to blow your mind. We, we, right, we, 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 I need we another conspiracy, this. please. Well, I, it's, it goes more into the kind of like spiritual hippie, hippie kind of world. Right? Kind so, of okay. um, so we introduced this to Forest Mommy yesterday. And uh, I think, I think you guys mentioned this when I was on with Jeffrey Tucker. I think uh, we, we probably talked about it a little bit, but we, can, we, but we really kind of like went, we went in yesterday. Okay. We went deep. Okay. Um, We're going to have someone but, on who's going to explain yeah, so we, it all we'll, really well. We'll talk more us. on life okay, about cool. it, but um, we're, we're exiting this period of what, what in human Wait, design. You have to explain human design because he doesn't know what it is. Well, no, no. I mean, like really quickly, human design is like, if you took like a, uh, Astrology, I Ching, I Ching, numerology, Kabbalah, 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 life, like a bunch of stuff and put it together. He's like, like oh my God. That's I'm human. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sorry. Bear I'm, with I'm, 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 I'm with you, Clint. Like, I'm a, I'm a super skeptic. Yeah, he's, right? I'm not here. <laughs> I haven't even said anything. You guys are assuming I'm skeptical. Yeah, I, I don't even know where you're going <laughs> with this. We're nowhere insane. So, this, this, so the, the kind of like premise of this is that the the world has different ages, right? I, I think you can see that throughout history naturally. It's just a lot of people look back. This also kind of looks forward to see it, right? And so we're coming out of this age, which they call the cross of planning, which is 1640 the, from 1640 to 2027. until 2027 is 
this age of industrialization. industrialization, centralization of power, the building up of these large institutions that, you know, the masses become dependent on. Or, it's kind or of like giving your power toward, away right? to a centralized power, right? So, so like so 2027 is defined as this point in time where we then enter into this age of true decentralization, where the individual, individual spirituality, and then local individual community, power. right, become extremely more important than all of these kind of like legacy, you know, institutions and centralized edifices that we've that we've come to depend on. Um, whether you get there from a, you know you believe in like Judeo-Christian God, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're like, it doesn't matter. And whether or not the, the actual date is true or not, for me at least as a skeptic, doesn't really matter, but it just rings true it to rings what true. you're What's seeing around on? the planet, right? You're seeing Sri Lankans and the people in the Netherlands. You're seeing, you know, freaking truckers in, in, uh, Canada. in Canada, as well as independent truckers in California that are freaking exiting the state on mass. Right. You're seeing these people that are taking. We're back taking our the back. Power, yeah, we're right? taking back the power. Um, Although they say with 2000, and it's supposed to be like February 2027, but they say like what we're doing now. It, so because it's like 1640 to 2027, we've been in a period of midwifing this birth into 220. I love the word midwife <laughs> going into 2027. We have not started pushing it. So a lot of people out there are saying we are in for some massive fucking shit down to the part where learn how to survive on your own. Kind of like they, they like centralize, like we're still, we haven't pushed yet. So they're still pushing back. Centralized stuff is still pushing back. And when it comes to the point where, um, it's time to push. Sh shit could go down. Yeah, and well, I it think it, I think it's really very probable. System. Yeah, I think it's very probable that the yeah. the contractions will consist of many, many wars potentially, some civil wars yeah. across the globe. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever make it out to New Jersey. That's a pretty, uh, pretty blue, <laughs> blue crazy land. Place. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm. I mean, this is what I'm. I just had Scott Horton on, you know, two weeks ago to talk all about nuclear proliferation or hopefully denuclearization at some point uh when it comes to weapons obviously energy wise i love it but weapons wise i'm fucking absolutely horrified of it and and yeah. i think that you know the games we're playing with russia right now uh, and you know toying with world war three are absolutely horrifying and and mm -hmm. i don't think people are paying nearly enough attention to it like they are they are pushing this like 24 7 from the political establishment regardless of the fact that it's pretty unpopular amongst the american people if not you know super unpopular so it's uh yeah uh, but to your point about you know this kind of a maximized Move period on. of centralization uh I, I i don't really buy into the you know the religious or any of the oh, spiritual religious, reasons for it. but yeah <laughs> I, i'm just saying i i don't i don't that's not how my brain works like if it yeah. works for you that's fine but the way i see it is like this is just a natural cycle of human behavior where yeah. you give enough of your autonomy away and it gets to a point of being so unbearable that you then claw it back and if the clawing invo involves violence then so be it that's just kind of how people have uh behaved historically and i think that we are nearing that apex of people just going like okay this system is so enormous and so powerful and so corrupt and it provides me nothing that it promises and it provides me nothing that i demand well then it has to go it just has so to What's yeah, so interesting that's what I think is gonna happen. And what I thought about it the other day is I was thinking about the time frames, right? Since 1640 
2027. If we're coming to like a climax of that, that means we haven't seen anywhere near what's going to happen since 1640, which is like, holy fuck, like shit's happened between 1640 and now. Yeah. Like how bad could it get? Is what's in my mind like? Well, you don't even have to go back to 1640 though, because there's there's the uh, what's the 20 year cycle that goes in 80 year waves, uh, like wave theory or whatever. Yeah, I think you know there's there's a bunch of analysis that that coincides with what you're talking about. Um, uh, there's also economic you know wave analysis that people um, believe in. So I think there's. I mean, however you analyze it, you're very probably correct that in well, the next five yeah. years we're going to see. Cataclysmic and it's changes. not only human design it's like across a bunch of things that are saying it for sure yeah but yeah. it's um it's a scary prospect but beautiful at the same time individual freedom individual power take care how good is that going to feel when people's lives are more meaningful and their families and their well, like it, it can be i mean my see the thing is is like i i don't like these types of concepts simply because i have taken so much more personal autonomy over the past couple years during you know one of the most tyrannical periods like i just i hate it when i when i say well by 2027 this is shit's gonna like you know, yeah. it's gonna be rough yeah. but it'll get better and i'm just like no, yeah. no 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 like it gets better because of human action you know like yes. that's how i that's how i view it so i, I would rather encourage agree. people to to push towards that goal whether it ends up happening in 2027 or 2030 or 2035 like we all like i think it only comes to pass that that ultimate outcome is positive if people with our worldview are actually dictating or, you know, instilling our will into that ether. Uh, so I hope, I hope. So saying that human action, what would be your kind of advice? What kind of human action should we be taking? I, well, like I always say, uh, entrepreneurial path is like, that's the, the primary mechanism su to sustain your existence. Um, and it also can be, you know, the primary time consumption in your life. So like, why would you not want it to be your own baby? Um, to me, it just seems like a natural thing, especially if you're a liberty-minded person. Like, it just seems perfect for you. Um, so if you have any skills that are unique, uh, you know, try and find a way to monetize it. Try to try and find a way to make some money off of it, so that you can take that hobby and make it uh, replace whatever your corporate slave job is. Yeah. What's What's super interesting to me is. The people right now who think that they have skills or skill sets that make them successful in the way of the current world works or, or doesn't work, actually, um, they're, they're going to be caught wanting, right? Like um, when, when the shit hits the fan, like I don't think, you know, uh, Instagram influencer is going to be a skill set yeah. that people need, right? I And I think back to... Like I've met tons of people that are like, they're like hobby is like blacksmithing and, you That's know, hot. I like, uh, like, you know, just <laughs> trade skill people like carpenters and things like that. Right. Like, or people who can grow food, those things just being like a fucking been, plumber, dude, you're going to be yeah, like rich. I, yes. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I, and, <laughs> we paid a lot of money to and our the, plumber. <laughs> those, those, those people have been shit on for, for probably the better oh, yeah. part of 20 years. Like, you know, Heck yeah. I basically, you know, dumb blue collar people, which is probably why Trump had the the rise that he had was because he appealed to those folks as opposed to the, you know, the aristocracy. Yeah. But um, we were just talking about this before. It's really interesting that um, people that will get down on you for like, you know, victim blaming and this, this kind of shit. Um, 
just ask them where they stand on the farmers in the Netherlands or the truckers in Canada or, and like, they'll be like, Oh, well, no, those people are insurrectionists and they're, they're like, you know, <laughs> they're, they're causing harm. They're evil. And you're like, do you understand that they've been like, do you understand the kind of life? And it's then like ghost, and the, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, and just, then my brain clicks and I'm like, no, obviously you don't because you freaking just went to Starbucks and got a latte and you work a yeah. freaking bullshit job pushing paper. Like, obviously well, not, not to mention the fact that the Netherlands is the second biggest exporter of agriculture in the world. It's like your, your capacity to eat is dependent on them winning this fight. Like yeah. whether you know it or not, like it, there's a decent chance that, huge huge swaths of africa starves to death if mm. they don't win that fight you know mm -hmm. like that's that's real shit and if you're not if you're pretending to be some bleeding heart liberal and you're laughing at these white farmers because you think that they've got privilege or some shit well just keep in mind that, that you're completely ignoring their customer base the people that actually eat that food you piece yeah. of garbage you know yeah. like i i can't stand these people and it's the same way i feel about sri lanka it's the same way i feel about Many of the Latin American countries that are revolting right now because of inflation and terrible monetary policy and the shortages of food and and uh, fuel. It's like all of mm. this is really a battle of like looking out for the little guy. And I don't really do that overtly. It's just like it breaks my heart that these people are truly victims of a system that they don't understand. And they've really had no say in the creation of it. It's awful and it's evil. And if you're going to you know pretend to be a, a lefty. You ought to be on the side of these people at a minimum. Yeah, yeah. which you know, which the left used to. They yeah, used to be on that side, but when in they the nineties they were okay. Yeah, when when they got well, I mean, like Bill Clinton is a very defining line between the old left and the new left, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that that corporate takeover of the left happened pretty fucking quickly, right? Um, but just to harken back to like the the Tyler Durden line, right? Like, we're the people that freaking. We're the people that serve you your food. Like we're the people that keep you safe at night. Do not fuck with us, right? Like right. that that thought process rings true, especially when we think what is going to happen economically is going to happen. So. And and I don't think people understand how tenuous an economy that has to provide, you know, energy and food and all sorts of other goods, clothing, etc., to seven plus billion people is. Mm -hmm. like, that is an incredibly like almost miraculous concoction of human drive and innovation and spirit. Oh, it's, it's a Friedman's it, it, story of the pencil, right? Like it's, it's yeah. unbelievable, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, he, he was writing that when we had maybe 4 billion or 5 billion people on the planet, we're up to like seven and a half. I think we're about to approach eight uh, by like two months from now, like that, when you consider the amount of production that's necessary to sustain those people, you cannot fuck with that system for an extended period of time and expect it not to on the margins start to wipe out that population. And this is why I personally believe that we are ruled by Malthusians that believe that the pop, the world is overpopulated and they are okay with sacrificing those people, contrary to whatever they, they espouse when it, when it comes to you know, equity and looking out for the little guy and alleviating racial tensions. The people that are going to die from this are largely black and they're in yeah. Africa and they yeah. don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. So they, they, just drop they the also rhetoric. Don't, they also don't have $2 to their name to steal. Right. Like, that's the other thing. Right. Like they they want like those people can die. Right. Like the people that they need to live are the ones that they can continue to thieve from. Right. So, right. I mean, that also bakes into the equation, just, whether it's conscious or subconscious. I have like a lot yeah. of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. One being the whole entrepreneurship thing 
is so interesting to me because we have so, um, and you're like saying with like being a plumber, it wasn't cool for so long. Right. Yeah. But like everybody has a different love for something. And I was just looking into like the ideas of cave art and you know, the earliest 50,000 years ago, they have cave art and people were doing art in corners of fucking caves. Like it's, it's like to think of what entrepreneurship can be. Yeah. Right. Like, it's okay to have an inspiration to be an artist and you can make something of that and you can like, and be a farmer sure. and be like, it's art has survived 50,000 fucking well, years. The even, stock market hasn't. But, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, no but hold on, hold that. on. A trade and commerce has been at the cornerstone of, of human development. Well, yeah. But to your point, even art is under attack. Like just what, what is amazing is what Eric D. July is doing right now with his launch, oh, with, the, with his yeah. launch of this comic book brand, is on fucking believable. <laughs> I, I hope that two and a half million dollars fucking million dollars. I yeah. hope he copples DC and Marvel because fuck them. They bought into the freaking like you go woke, you go broke. Like, I'm sorry. That's just the way it but, works. No, but it only go. You only go broke if a competitor rises up to make you go broke. And and because of ESG, it makes it extraordinarily challenging for that competitor to to arise. Yes. So this is this is why I'm fighting on the ESG side of things, because I am, you know, a spokesperson basically that's like what i do now and and i think that it's important if we're going to to get people to support you know independent creators like eric july they need to understand why they're doing it it can't just yeah. be like okay the product's better okay yeah that's that's cool but like there's also a, a bigger reason to do it is that you should be punishing the people that have been trying to control your culture and, mm. and your way of thinking your way of living for the past 20 years, like, fuck these people. Like, that's the yeah. main, like, I think a huge amount of the money that's going to Eric July right now or to Ripaverse is a product of anger. That's anger towards the woke yeah. takeover of, of that industry. And every industry has been taken over by the woke via ESG. So I'm trying to get people to understand this is why. And now yeah. once you understand why, you can operate both from a, a sense of, of fury, but also knowing why you're upset knowing that it was actually the UN and BlackRock and Larry Fink and Bill Gates and State Street and Vanguard and all these, the biggest money managers Charles on earth. Schwab. that and Price Schwab <laughs> and the World yeah. Economic Forum. Like, you can actually understand this is why it happened. And now you know who your enemy is and you know who your allies are. And then you can go out and support the right people. Well, so interesting. Like, so we love, I, I don't know if you love him, but I love Russell Brand. I think he's oh, I love phenomenal. Him. Yeah, he's awesome. And he had someone on the, I don't know if you watch him normally, but he had someone on the other day was talking about newspapers and, and I don't, I actually don't even know her name or exactly what, I just listened to snippets that make sense to me. And um, he you were talking about how in, I feel like it was like the thirties up to the fifties. They used to have like media was much different and they used to have all these communist papers. So like it was a local kind of thing. Like, and it wasn't like a, but it was the people who couldn't do the traditional jobs. They would always go and they could go and work for a communist paper or something. We don't have that media anymore. Like we don't have that outlet anymore, even though we have like, we have this, right? We have the uh, the social media, which is also yeah. very much tracked and stuff, right? But they used to have these communist papers where people, the everyday blue collar fucking person who is the majority of our, you know, country and our culture in a lot of ways, like they had this outlet and they could pick from five, six, seven, eight, nine communist, well, they say communist papers because we're talking about a time frame, but yeah. like the, you know, and they had all this opportunity to, 
to be something different and to hear different viewpoints. And now you just, well, to a, a credit to Eric D July, and this is also a common trend. Like, so Joss is writing a book on grief. Right. Um, and the one point I try to make to her is that, um, yeah, you could try and kind of like, you know, prostrate yourself before the big publishing houses and all this other stuff, but you then fall victim to, you know, their biases, their, their viewpoint, right? Like their ESG score is what they're you'll, worried You'll about. never be able to create what you intend to. If you exactly. Yeah, that's what I've and been so, so this, with. like, look at the way malice freaking, uh, you know, I'm like the freaking anarchist handbook, right? This guy didn't go to a big freaking publishing house, right? He freaking he probably developed had his own audience. That, though, no, no, no. He made his own shit. No, he, he developed his own audience. And then like, it's it's the other like Gary V talks about it all the time as much as like whether you think Gary V is a positive influence or not like he's got some smart ideas he said create the audience and then build the products right you don't build the products first like you unless have to figure product, out what they actually want to talk but about unless your product is a personal product that has to happen at a certain time see like Amazon and stuff it's so fucked up because I like anyone can get a bestseller on Amazon if they give it away yeah <laughs> You just give it away bullshit. for free and play the game. Yeah. It's such bull like I don't even really believe in that. So we were talking about like like just no, no, no. I'm a bookmaker malice, anyways. Malice gave away shit for free. That's what I'm no, saying. Nothing. No, I mean they gave away nothing for free and became a bestseller. That's because, what I'm saying. Because no. his audience, like he Eric's audience, it. is freaking voracious. And so to your point, Clint, I agree with you. Like you have to not necessarily weaponize, but but you have to tap into that uh that either ire or the disenfranchisement or just the All overall like disappointment in what some of these things that people grew up knowing well, as, as high quality have now been diluted or have been you know basically contorted into what they are now. yeah you i mean think about it do you have i don't know what you have where you live but what we have we don't really have local papers anymore our voice is not heard within our community or you know well like the, the like, miami herald not... is that like a is that like now part of a bigger paper? Because like a ton of our papers have Got just gotten bought up. up, bought up. Yeah. Who knows? I haven't yeah. read a newspaper in a long time. I mean, yeah. if I do read it, <laughs> it's going to be online. So I'm certainly not getting physical papers. I have no idea. I mean, I think yeah. that it's being replaced by social media. The The censorship is obviously a huge issue, but yeah. we're finding ways. You know, we're finding ways to like Substack is kind of a response to the suppression of dissident thought that was happening online. And now you have people that are making enormous sums of money being independent writers through that avenue. Uh, yeah. Locals is another great example of independent creators that are making videos uh, or podcasts or whatever else that are able to you know, monetize their efforts. And I, you know, speaking from experience, I, I basically poured my soul into Twitter for the past three years, just growing a Twitter following. And then I started a podcast two years ago when I had a very minor following. And then you know, it slowly progressed. And now, you know, I'm not making a huge amount of money, but like I could live off of this income from my podcast. And that's crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I broke into an industry that has millions of competitors, you know, yeah. it's like, it's not, yeah. it's, it's a pretty saturated market and it's very but hard. But All you're, you need are but a you're thousand not, true fans. But you're, you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're not saying what the rest of them are. That's the other thing is like, true. I, you know, I mean, just take it back to the, the Ron Paul line. Like you just have to be brave, right? Like in an ocean of people, that are going in one direction, just be brave enough to paddle in the opposite direction. And you you'll end up, you might not end up having the same volume of fans. You might not end up making tens of millions of dollars, but you'll end up with a freaking diehard, passionate group of people that follow you. Yep. It's, it's, and, and, and the only, the only criteria is that you're right. sincere and that you stick to it. 
like if authentic. You're, yeah, if you're authentic, it, mm-hmm. that's what I meant by sincere. But same, yeah, yeah. exactly. It, like it's I was so, just echoing you. <laughs> yeah, no, the, I mean, I'm just saying like that's the main differentiator uh, from the podcast realm versus every other medium is that the people that are already that have already given up on all other aspects of mainstream media, they are the those are the people that have usually migrated to the podcast realm because yeah. they're like I. I, I am one of those people. I fell in love with podcasts when I discovered Joe Rogan in 2009 or 10, like in episode 50, and he's up to, you know, 2000 something now. Yeah. Um, it's like, that's, these are the people that, that really became the early adopters and the most passionate uh, customers of the podcast circuit is like, we wanted something different. We, and the, the difference is largely authenticity. So the key, in my opinion, is that no matter how big you grow, if you can't maintain that authenticity, you will stop growing. And I yeah. think that's really that's really the difference between someone who ends up with a modicum of a success, say five to ten thousand listeners, and someone who ends up with a hundred thousand to a million listeners. Like that's that's really what separates it. Oh hell yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh dude, I think we've I, think I we've feel run like a lot. we've gone through what to do yeah. with the coming situation we've gone over what might happen what's probably going to happen we're talking digital currency we yeah. talked 2027 <laughs> Dude, there's so much more we could go through but so uh uh plug where people can find you if they're not currently sub to you sure it's at liberty lockpot on twitter and it is liberty lockdown two words liberty lockdown on youtube spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, everywhere else um i should be having on uh josie the redheaded libertarian probably next week uh i've had on some really big guests obviously scott horton uh god i can't even remember all the jason burak who blew my mind with his economic analysis he's a independent basically money manager advisor and uh and fed analyst that episode yeah is doing gangbusters numbers like we're over ten thousand already um I don't know, man. They like just check it out. If you guys like my analysis, um, for those that don't know, I was a money manager for 15 years. That's that's where I get this, uh, you know, formulation background uh, mindset. And also, my dad was a libertarian, and he raised me. So that's that's why I come at basically every aspect of life with kind of a libertarian, independent-minded perspective. No, (laughs) I was not. I went to public school. (laughs) Were you vaccinated? As a kid, maybe I don't know. Um, I don't know. I just I want... <laughs> as a baby. <laughs> yeah. No, as a baby, as a baby, I probably was, but I don't. I honestly don't know. I'd have to ask my parents. Uh, but no, like I was not of... vaccinated in the past two years. I can assure you. I'm that. Like one of the very few forty-five-year-olds who's never had a vaccine in my body. There's very few of us. I, yeah. I meet them every so often. No, we were we were talking to Hex yesterday, and Hex is the same. But he's, he's too young. He, yeah, he's not forty-five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like <laughs> early twenties. It looks like I don't even know. Yeah, I, I I think you're you're spot on with that. Yeah, it's okay. Different yeah. Era. I yeah. I'm impressed. But as a kid, I probably I probably got vaccinated. I yeah. I don't know. My mom my mom was or my my dad was very opposed. So maybe not. I don't know. Maybe cool not. That would be awesome. Yeah. You would be like yeah. in my crew. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm exactly. impressed that you haven't been blocked by the redheaded libertarian because. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Well, hey, in fairness, I block people about as aggressively as she does. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If, if you're if you're not blocked by either myself or Josie, then tune in and enjoy. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> so no, I have five listeners. <laughs> I, I'm I'm surprised I'm not blocked. I like I like half of her stuff, and then half the stuff we we kind of like go back and forth on. But uh, no, it's 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 all good. Um, we we have Ace Anarchist coming on uh, oh, next cool. week to I talk about what actually is anarchy. So that should be good. And then yeah, I'm trying to line up Shane Hazel 
uh, we're going to talk after. holistic health. Yeah, we're going to talk about health. Oh, I'm so into that he one. Just went, through, <laughs> just went through his back and everything like that. So we'll talk about a little, a little bit. Awesome. Of that. Uh, by the way, I was on uh, Kibby for Liberty with Matt Kibby. Yeah. Uh, just came out last week and I broke down ESG for his audience. And uh, he's he's floating the idea of me going on with Glenn Beck to break it down for his audience. So that would, that be, would be awesome. That would be great. Enormous if that happens. So. Mitt Maybe, yeah. maybe you could make Glenn Beck libertarian again. I would, I would like that to happen. He's close. He's close. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Dave, Dave was just on there a couple months ago. If he, if he has me on, obviously he's tight with Kibby. He also, uh, Eric July is a contributor over at The Blaze, which is yep. uh, Glenn Beck's organization. I think Glenn is way more libertarian than most people want to give him credit. But he's also, you know. He's had some missteps from a libertarian oh, sure. perspective. So. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's been a couple of, and you know what? The Libertarian Party hasn't uh, done anything to keep him. No, <laughs> no, we didn't that, in that lane. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. So, all right, dude, Clint, thank you very much. Awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> we will check everyone next week, Monday, 9 p.m. Eastern, live, and that's it. That's it. Peace. Talk to you later.